here in the Gospel of Mark. We're in Mark chapter 13, and so uh, as we're walking with Jesus uh, through His life and through this last week of Jesus' life, uh, He is just two days away from the cross and two chapters away from the cross here in uh, the Gospel of Mark. What we're reading here in chapter 13 is taking place on that Wednesday before He would die on the cross that Friday. And so he is, uh, in this Wednesday, we've, we've looked at some of the things that, that Sunday, Monday, Tuesday leading up to, to this Wednesday. Here this Wednesday, his public ministry has, is coming to a close. He's finished his public ministry. He's moving on to some private ministry uh, with the disciples. And chapter 13 begins uh, that time. And in uh, chapter 13, this is, in the Gospel of Mark, uh, this is the, the longest uh, extended teaching that, that Jesus has, and it's here with the disciples. Now, Mark doesn't include all the details of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, that's covered in, in, in Matthew, and he doesn't include all the details of Jesus' teaching that last Thursday night uh, with the, the disciples. He has some of that, but not near as, in as much detail as John uh, did there. But in the Gospel of Mark, this is uh, the longest uh, discourse, the longest teaching that Jesus has on, on, on one subject, on one matter. And so obviously it is, it is very important. This is what's known as that Olivet Discourse. Uh, it's also found in, in Matthew and Luke as well. In Matthew chapter 24 is where we have a lot of details of what Jesus was talking with his disciples here. And it's often used when we focus on, on the end time, on end time uh, ministry and end time teaching, and that is included in this discourse. But I don't want to, see, you know, especially as I've been studying this and restudying this this week and looking at some of the details, uh, you don't don't get caught up in all the the sign watching that is that we often do with with uh, uh, this discourse and with this teaching that is here because you can lose the the message that Jesus is trying to get across. He does include, he talks about some things that are going to happen at the end time, but he's doing it for a reason and for a purpose, and we don't need to get caught up in everything that is going on around us in the world today and miss him. That, that's really, the focus of this is him. He's calling the disciples to focus in on, on, on him. And by the way, we were just singing about him. He is the one that died on the cross for our sins. But he is also the one we were singing about in that first song called the King of Glory. That is him. It wasn't some weak, impotent man lying there on the cross that couldn't do anything to overcome what was happening to him. It was the King of Glory fulfilling the plan of God the Father. That's what was going on there on the cross. So, keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open. Mark chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, where it says, Then as he, Jesus, as Jesus went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. He's saying, look at this. Look at how beautiful it is. And Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, 
When will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? They're still thinking about what he said there in verse 2. And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am he or I am the Christ. And will deceive many. But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines and troubles. You could look at the newspaper today and read these very things. These are the beginnings of sorrows. But watch out for yourselves. For they will deliver you up to councils, and you'll be beaten in the synagogues. You'll be brought before rulers and kings for my say, for a testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you'll speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Now brother will betray brother to death. And father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. And there's more he's going to teach, but we'll look at that next week. You know, when I was, uh, I think it was when I was in college, that's been a long time ago, uh, but uh when I, I, was, I was at home one night, and, and usually the way, whenever I would, would come home, uh, my, my dad would be in his chair. There'd usually be a ball game on TV or, or something like that. Uh, and then, uh, or, or either sometimes the TV would be off because he always did his Bible reading before he went to bed. Uh, but he would be in his pajamas sitting in his chair. I can see him right now with that Bible there, reading the Bible, or, or, or that, and that's what he would do, and then, then he would go to bed. Now, this particular night, I was there, and, and I'd like to say I was studying for a test or something like that, but, but I, I, don't, I don't think I was doing that. Uh, but he went on to, to bed before me, which usually wasn't the case, but he went on to bed uh, before me, and I was the last one in the den before going to my bedroom, which was upstairs. And, and uh, the way we had our, our, our lamps, we didn't have a, a single light in the, in the center of the room. We had lamps. My mom likes lamps, all right? And so we had lamps around that you had to turn off, and when he went to bed, he said, turn everything off when you go to bed. And, and sure, you know, that's what I was going to do. So I, I turned the TV off and the lamp that was next to me, uh, you know, on the couch and stuff, I turned it off. And then there was the lamp that was over by his chair that was over on the opposite side of the room away from the door going out. And so I went and I turned that lamp off. And when I turned that lamp off, it went completely dark. Now, we lived in the darkest part of Borum Circle in Corinth, Mississippi, all right? And so it was, I mean, I couldn't see anything. Now, I remembered the layout of the room, and there's a coffee table there. My mom likes coffee tables, too. Uh, and so I, I, I made my way around the coffee table. There's a wooden rocking chair that is there right 
before you get to the door. And I, I felt of it. I found that, that rocking chair. And then I started doing this as I was making my way to the door, which would have been great if the door had been open and had been, you know, the door swung this way, had been open over in here, I would have felt of the door. Or if the door had been closed or almost closed as I was doing this, I would have felt of the door there. But it just so happened that the door wasn't here and the door wasn't here, the door was right here. <laughs> <laughs> and so as I, I, I found out that, as I was feeling through, and then all of a sudden, bam. And the, you, Have you ever been hit so hard that it seemed like the lights turned on? Uh, that's what it, lights turned on. I couldn't see anything because it was still pitch black, but it was a flash <laughs> in my head as I hit that door dead center. I, I'm kind of glad I hit it dead center, not off to the side because I would have had a black eye uh, after it because it hit me hard. I shouldn't have turned the light off <laughs> without the door. But I, as I was thinking about that and thinking about this, this message, that's the way that it seems like the church is today. We're groping around in the dark and running into doors and barriers and stepping off into holes and ditches everywhere we turn. We're groping in the dark and we're missing it. There's a lot of things that the church today is just not seen here in this passage of scripture two times Jesus gives the same command it's worded two different ways here in our text in verse 5 he says take heed that no one deceives you and then in verse 9 maybe a little bit more accurate translation he says watch out for yourselves that is the same word in the original language it's the word blepo which means to see it means to to yes to physically see but it means more than that it means to see with understanding it is the idea this the word means it means to intentionally focus in on something and, and really as it's used in scripture and what jesus is talking about here it is a a, a supernatural gift of god to be able to see beyond the circumstances to see through the darkness and see God and what he is doing that's really what he is saying here he's saying to his disciples he's saying to the church look keep your eye put your spiritual goggles on if you will and and, and look and say let me tell you something what's going to help us see today is is uh, to see through what is going on around us is not found in politics it is not some politicians or some rally or some speech or, or something that's going to help us to see what is right. Social media is not going to help us to see. Uh, looking within ourselves and, and trying to figure out things, that's not going to help us. Only the Holy Spirit of God can help us see what is really going on and move us in the right direction and see what God is up to and how God is working and how we can get in on it. We need the Spirit of God to open up our eyes so that we can keep our eyes open. Because, and kind of the way where all this came from is the fact, and, and reading through this passage and even teaching and preaching on this passage so many times, and there were some things that I had not seen till this week. And it's just like God said, Doug, open up your eyes to what's going on. Because even though the word glory is not used in this passage, Jesus is teaching on glory. That these disciples, 
that these religious leaders of that day, that even the crowds that had seen him do miracles were missing out on. That's why all this happens the way that it is happening. See, first of all, we need to see the true glory. The true glory. Go back to verse 1 and 2, and don't skip over this. When it talks about uh, here in, in, in verse 1, it says, Then as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. It is all coming down. He begins this dialogue with the disciples, the, the ones that are closest to him, that he has been doing a lot of extra teaching that the people around had not, hear, had not heard. And I want you to see what is going on here. First of all, to see the true glory, we need to see the departing glory. That, that's what's going on here. There is a departing glory. The glory is not the temple. The glory is not in the temple. The glory is leaving the temple. Look in verse 1 where he says, Then as he went out of the temple. The glory is leaving the temple. Because the glory is not the temple. It is not their religion. It is not their acts. It is not their experiences. The glory is Jesus himself. And everybody was missing it. And I'm afraid we as a church are missing it as well. The glory is Jesus. When we say that the glory is Jesus, what do we mean by that? You know, it talks in the Old Testament about the Shekinah glory of God and how it filled the temple. And a lot of times we get this idea of this aura, this bright light and stuff. No, the glory is not the aura and the bright light. The glory is Him. It is God Himself. And we talk about the majesty and the holiness of God, how, how great and how awesome he is, and we sing about it, but the glory is not the greatness and the awesomeness and the holiness and the majesty. The glory is him. He just happens to be holy, perfectly holy in everything that he does. He just happens to be fully majestic, the, the awesome, the almighty God that can do anything, but the glory is him. I tell you what else is so what makes him so glorious, the glorious thing about him is that as majestic and as holy, as different from us as he is, he is a God of grace and mercy and love and comes to us and has made a way that we can have a relationship with him. That blows my mind. This is that Jesus. Matter of fact, John says, and we beheld his glory. We beheld him in all of his glory. You see, in the, in the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel, when the children of Israel were going into Babylon, they, uh, uh, when that was taking place, God allowed the prophet Ezekiel to see something into the spirit realm, into spiritually what was going on. And before they were taken into captivity in Babylon, Ezekiel saw into the temple and saw the Shekinah glory of God, which was in the, the holy place. That, that was God himself there in the holy place meeting with his, his people. How it got up and it left. And it went out into the temple and went out in the courtyard and went out the gate out of the temple and left before they went into captivity. And here... The glory of God, Jesus himself, 
is departing once again. See, the glory is departing, yet they didn't see. The religious leaders didn't see. They were were looking for ways to kill him, to, to put him to death. The crowd, they were amazed at his teaching. See, see, you can be in the buildings and not see him. You can, be, you can even be part of the crowd and be amazed at the, at the worship and amazed at the, the teaching and the preaching of the word and, and, and be touched emotionally by what's going on around you and still miss him. The glory is not in, in an, a worship experience. The glory is him. It is meeting him. It is being impacted by him. So what what does this mean to us? It means go with Jesus. Go with Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Don't get caught up in everything that is going on around you, as good as it might be, as as great. But get, get caught up in him. Stay with Jesus. Abide with Jesus. Be filled with Jesus. There's this departing glory, and then there's also this empty glory. See, that's what's taking place here. As they they talk in verse 1, they they tell him as they're walking out of the temple with Jesus, they look at the building and say, isn't this wonderful? Isn't this building beautiful? And it was. It had been uh, been through a lot. You know, it was rebuilt when they came back to Babylon. Uh, it was destroyed while they were in Babylonian captivity. They came back. They, they, they rebuilt it. Look up, read the book of Ezra about that. And, and, and it was beautiful when it was rebuilt, but they went through a lot of things over the years. Hadn't got time to go into all that. But when Herod uh, became, was overdrawn, in order to, to get in good with the Jews and make himself look better, he had redone, remodeled a lot of the temple and, and added to the gold and the marble and cleaned everything everything up and, and it was uh, one of the, the religious wonders in the world at that time that the temple and they, they see that and they, they see how beautiful it is and they talk about it and say isn't this beautiful that is going on here when Jesus was right with them and they were missing it And if we look for glory in anything other than Jesus Christ, it is empty glory. Empty glory. See, he comes back and says, you see these these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. These buildings are coming down. But I tell you what, Jesus is going to die, but he's going to be raised up forever and ever. You see, it's, it's easy to forget. He talks a little bit later about Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Peter, James, and John were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and saw, physically saw, some of the glory of Jesus unveiled. And yet here they are talking about how pretty these buildings are. When that same Jesus is standing right next to them. Oh, it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to get off track. And by the way, it's easy to be fake as well. It's easy to fake it. See, they were all coming in, all these Jews were coming into this temple acting like the glory of God was there. But it wasn't. 
They were going through the motions. They were quoting the scriptures. They were going through the rituals. They were offering the sacrifices. They were going through the cleansing. They were singing the songs. The music was playing. Everything was going on. And yet the glory of God was not there. The glory of God's walking out of the temple. Matter of fact, when Jesus dies and that veil is rent, you know what that veil exposed? Nothing. Because the glory of God was not in the temple. The glory of God was out on the cross dying for their sins. And if you have any type of religion other than a relationship with Jesus Christ, it is empty glory. And if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, yet you're trying to grow in that relationship by good deeds and by performing and impressing everybody else and saying the right words, you're not experiencing the full glory of Jesus. We need to repent of these things. We need to move away from these things. See the true glory. Not only that, but... Look at the warning that he gives here. We've already read it there uh, in, 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 in verse 5 here, but look at verse 3 through 8, and we need to see the, the false glory as well because the false glory of the temple, we just talked about that, but there's more. In verse 3 he says, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite, temple, opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us when, when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are fulfilled. They're more concerned with things than they are Jesus. Jesus has told them even on their way that week to Jerusalem as they were coming in and has told them over and over again, When we get to Jerusalem, the Son of Man, I am going to be beaten and arrested arrested and taken and crucified and put to death. And the third day I'll be raised from the dead. And they're going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us about these end time things. They say, tell us, verse 4, tell us when all these things will be and what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled. And then Jesus gives them a lesson on glory. Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am he and will deceive many. False glory. And when you hear wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen, but the end is not yet. False glory. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes. In various places there will be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows and false glory. But watch out for yourselves. Well, we'll get to that in just a moment. That's the second time he says that. Let's look back at these verses I just read there. And let's see the false glory. In verse 5 he says, Take heed that no one deceive you. And in verse 6 he says, For many will come in my name saying, I am he, and will deceive many. The idea of deception here is the idea of leading astray. And what he is saying is, not only, not only in the end times, but you understand he's talking to them about what's going on in their times as well. And he's talking to us about what's going on in our times as well. And there will always be those that are trying to lead us away from Jesus. Your flesh will lead you away from Jesus. The world will lead you away from Jesus. Even people in the name of religion will lead you away from Jesus because Jesus is not a religion. They will lead you into to false glory. Two in particular I want to point out here. First of all, the deception of peace. 
He talks there in, in, in verse 5 about no one deceiving you. In verse 6 about the, that many will come to deceive you. And then he says in verse 7, But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen. But the end is not yet. And so what is he saying here? He's saying that these people are going to come and there's going to be wars that are going on and they're going to promise peace. And everybody's going to be looking for peace. Because what is it? People want a feel-good faith. We don't want persecution. We're upset about what's going on in Afghanistan. And it is wrong what is, what is going on and the, the persecution that, that believers are facing there and facing all across the world. And it is wrong. But Jesus didn't say the time that, that it'll be okay. I'll come in and I'll take care of it, all of it. And you'll never go through persecution. He said it is coming. And those that promise peace are lying. It's false glory. And if the only reason you'll follow God is because you think that he'll, he'll bring peace into your life, he'll bring peace into your situation, and you won't ever have to deal with any persecution or any hardship or anything like that, that's false glory. See, in, 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 when the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, when they went into captivity uh, with Babylon, that's what the Old Testament, that's what a lot of the prophets were promising. Fortunately, the ones we have uh, recorded in God's Word, they were the ones that prophesied the truth about you're going into captivity and you're going to be there a long time and, and, and promising and, and telling them that's what was coming. But there were many prophets in that day that were prophesying peace, peace, peace. It'll never happen. God will never happen. let it happen. You're the promised ones and everything they were telling them what they wanted for themselves. They didn't want to go through hard times. And they were telling the people what they wanted to hear because the people didn't want to go through hard times. But let me tell you, following Jesus doesn't mean no hard times. You understand why the glory left the temple, don't you? Because the people were going into captivity and God was going with the people. That's why he left. You want me to tell you where you find him? You find him in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You find him in the lion's den where those angels are there. The reason the angels are there is because God's there with Daniel in the lion's den. That's where you find him. Not back in Jerusalem in the temple, but with his people. He'll be with us as well. Any type of peace without him is a false peace. And God has not called us to a feel-good faith. Feel-good faith won't work because when you feel bad, you lose faith. God has called us for a faith that regardless of how we... We put our yes on the altar, saying, Jesus, I'll go, I'll do whatever you call me to do, regardless of the sacrifice. This is what we're talking about. And if you're doing it so that you can have an experience of peace and no hardship and no conflict and nothing, uh, nothing bad happening in your life, then you're going to, well, you can't find that anywhere. Start to say, you're going to have to look somewhere else. 
Jesus said in this world you'll have tribulation, but he also promised he'd be with us every step of the way. The deception of peace. Let me also mention the deception of prosperity. He talks about in verse 8, he says, For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Again, that's the idea of peace, but it's putting in a little different spin on it because he says, and there'll be earthquake in various places and there'll be famines and troubles. He's letting them know if you follow those, they're following him, that doesn't mean that everything is going to go well, that everything is going to be prosperous, that there's going to be no troubles, no disasters, no famines, no sickness or anything like that. Let me tell you something. That is probably one of the biggest barriers to getting the true gospel out into the world is this false gospel that says if you follow follow Jesus, he'll take care of all your problems and you'll ne- everything will be taken care of and you won't be sick and you'll have everything that you need. And there are people who are trying Jesus and, 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 and watching TV preachers and these evangelists that are out there, uh, they can get them on the World Wide Web and that's what they're drawn to because of the hardship that they're going through in Africa, the hardship that they're going through in Ukraine, hardship that they're going through in India. And all these are promising them that if you'll just give them some money and you'll just... Follow Jesus in this way. If you just have enough faith, then you won't have any problems. And Jesus said the exact opposite. He said, that is false glory. Glory is not found in our circumstances. Glory is about him. Yes, he can work miracles. Yes, he does work miracles. But if the only reason you follow Jesus is to get your miracle, that's false glory. Because a miracle without Jesus is no value at all. See, that's what he's talking about. These end time people are going to come in. They're going to promise you peace. They're going to promise you prosperity. But Jesus is saying, that is not why I have come. And that is not glory. Glory is him. And then he goes on here and and see the the impact of glory that he is talking about here in in verse 9. Notice what he, he, as he he switches here, he says in verse 9, he says, Watch out for yourselves, for they'll deliver you up to councils. You'll be beaten in synagogues. This is what you'll expect. But it doesn't mean you don't have the glory of God. He says, you'll be brought before rulers and kings for my sake. He's the king of glory for a testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Don't take that verse out of context now. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And now brother will betray brother to death. And father is child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you'll be hated for all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Watch out for yourselves. Keep your eyes open. Tough times are coming. Listen, I'm not trying to scare you away or anything like that, but if you follow Jesus, it's tough. And it's going to get tougher and tougher in this world. Persecution. He says you're going to be beaten. You're going to be 
put on the spot and asked if you will deny. You're going to be uh, taken away. You're going to be put in prison. Some of you will even be put to death. And that's happening today as we're worshiping here all across the world. There are people who are being put to death now because they will not deny the name of Jesus. This very day across this world. He talks about the Family turning against you in verse 12. Brother betraying brother. Father his own child. Children rising up against parents and causing them to be put to death for Jesus' sake. Maybe we should have another invitation to say, now will you put your yes on the altar? Is Jesus worth it? That's what he's teaching them here. Don't get caught up in the buildings. Don't get caught up in the circumstances of what's going on. Definitely don't get caught up when people come and promise you peace and prosperity. You go after glory. The glory of Jesus. Tough times call for tough ministry. That's what putting your yes on the altar means. I'm signing up for tough ministry. Tough ministry is gospel ministry. Look what he says in verse 10. He says, the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. Do you understand what he is saying here? We want to use that as a sign of, of the, when the end is coming. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He said, you're going to be... You're going to be put in prison. You're going to be beaten. You're going to be brought before kings. And he says, here's what I want you to do. Preach the gospel. Tough ministry is gospel ministry. It means no matter what I'm going through, no matter what situation, if I find myself in a prison cell, I'm going to preach the gospel. If I find myself beaten and persecuted, I'm going to preach the gospel. If I'm not popular at school, I'm going to preach the gospel. If I lose my job, I'm going to preach the gospel. You know why? Because he's the king of glory. And nothing matters but him. And no one can have eternal life apart from him. He is the only God. There is no other. He created everything around us and he has made a way for us to have a relationship with him through the cross, through what Jesus did for us on the cross. We can have a relationship with him. Our sins can be forgiven and we can enter into this this experience of glory where the king of glory comes into our hearts and lives with us and we can have a relationship with him and I'm going to tell everybody about him. Gospel ministry. And matter of fact, you know what Jesus is saying here? He says, I'm going to put you in those places to preach the gospel. I'm going to put you in prison. I'm going to put you before kings who are persecutors, who are, are, are evil, wicked men, so they can hear the gospel of grace. Gospel ministry. See, the glory... Where's the temple today? The temple's right here. The glory is with us. And everywhere we go, if you're a born-again believer, you take the glory of God with you. And you need to share the glory of God with those who don't know Jesus. 
That's what was going on in, in, the, in the book of Acts there at Pentecost. As they were there, the Holy Spirit filled them. And it said little tongues of fire came up above them. You know, that, that's, that's, what, that's what, how God led them through. The, it was that, that pillar of fire by, by, by night. And the cloud by day was a symbolic of the, the presence of God that was with them. And that tongue of fire that was above them was letting them know that the presence, the glory of God wasn't in the temple there in Jerusalem any longer. Neither was it hanging on a cross. It was in their hearts. It was in their lives. And that's what he means here. He says, when you go, you don't have to worry about it because the king of glory is going to be in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And he'll say exactly what needs to be said. Gospel ministry and enduring ministry. Feel good faith doesn't endure. It only endures when everything's going good. But this faith, this is a faith that will even stand up to your own children turning you in for believing in Jesus. To your own parents turning you in for believing in Jesus. That'd be hard. But this faith endures even through that. He says there in verse 13, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. You want to come get your yes off the altar? You'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. When he has this word endure, understand what this word means, and I'll finish here. Understand what the word endure means. It is the word hupa meno. Meno means to abide. You heard about abiding in Jesus? Go to John chapter 15 and read about abiding in Jesus where he's the vine and we are the branches and what it means to abide in his love, what it means to abide in him. That's the, that's the relationship with him. And so it's abiding. We're abiding in Jesus. And hupa uh, means to be under, that under the persecution, under the tough circumstances, under everything that comes in my life, I'm going to stay with Jesus. I'm going to abide in Jesus. I'm going to, to, to get everything I need from him. That is the real glory, the real glory is not having my circumstances go the way that I want to go. My real glory is having a relationship with him and nobody can take that away from me and I tell you what, I'm going to give everybody a taste of the glory of God. That's the impact of glory. Have you been impacted that way by Jesus Christ? Is he that important to you? Is that what you meant when you put your yes on the altar last week and you came and you said, are you going with him no matter what comes? Open your eyes and see. It is not about having enough money to retire on. It is not about everything going well. It is not about never getting sick and, and never having any issues with my children or with my parents or with, with the, my friends or the people around me. It is about walking with Jesus and abiding with Jesus and living for Jesus and telling people about Jesus because he's the king of glory and he saved me and he's redeemed me and he lives within me and he is my life he is my life I bet they don't ask Jesus any more questions about or tell him any more about how beautiful that temple is
This is Doug Ferris, and I'm blessed to be the pastor here at Underwood Baptist Church. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. It's our prayer that you'll do more than listen to the sermon or gather religious information. We want you to encounter God, and we pray that He will impact your life. If you'd like to contact us for any reason, please go to our website at underwoodbaptist.org. All our contact information is there, and we look forward to hearing from you. I hope you were blessed by today's message.